BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, friends, thanks so much for listening to the podcast. And we want to make sure that you know about all the other exciting ways to get more exclusive content from The Bill Press Show. We're on Patreon. Did you know that? On Patreon. So to go to Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash BP show to get videos that nobody else gets. All we ask is five bucks a month and you get access to daily commentary. And every week we put up a special interview just for our Patreon subscribers. Hey, it's a great way to support progressive media and get your hands on some fun, new, exclusive content. Thanks so much for supporting the show by going to patreon.com slash BP show. Giving you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show. Live at youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Donald Trump blinks twice yesterday, back down on tariffs and back down on inviting Putin to the White House. Hey, what do you say, everybody? <clears throat> Maybe uh, Donald Trump feeling the heat a little bit. Here we go on a Thursday. Whoa, can you believe it? Thursday, <clears throat> July 26, 2018. It is the Bill Press Show, and you are welcome to it. You are part of it, of course, the most important part of it. We love the fact we get to spend a couple of hours with you uh, every day, starting off the day by a little reviews of, review of the news of the day here from Washington, D.C., around the country and around the globe with all the... In fact, today, even outer space, oh my God, a lake on Mars? Can you believe it? I mean, it's getting closer and closer. They got a lake on Mars. Next thing, you're probably going to find some, uh, you know, vacation homes around the... Good around, fishing out there, man. Got good fishing out there. Yeah, there'll be a couple little marinas, sailboats and everything. Yeah. Once, that, once those cameras get a little closer, there will be <laughs> life on Mars. Yeah, on the lakefront uh, every Saturday night for sure. Anyhow, we'll bring you up to date on all the news of the day and look forward to hearing from you, whether it's about uh, the big uh, hearing with Mike Pompeo, a pretty, pretty contentious hearing with Mike Pompeo on the Hill yesterday in front of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee, or Donald Trump backing down down at the White House with the head of the EU. All of it fodder for your commentary and your comments. Agree or disagree on Twitter at BP Show, at BP Show. Get ready to go, but first. This is the Full Court Press. Just a couple of other stories making news. We start out with a happy birthday. Happy, happy birthday. birthday to Masazo Nonaka. Yesterday, he celebrated his 113th birthday, which makes him officially the oldest man alive, according to the Guinness Book of World Records. Now, we do this story a couple of times a year because... 
they die off. You don't keep that title for very long, right, usually. Right, but right, what right. is the secret to his longevity? He says... Wait, what countries do you live in? In Japan. I he lives in so. Japan. Okay, okay. Yeah, sake. No, he says the mineral-rich springs, as well as his love of sweets. He loves candy, <laughs> and he's eaten candy his whole life. Uh, the Guinness Book of World Records interviewed... God, I love him. It, yeah, totally. Interviewed his daughter, and she said that he leads a stress-free life. Quote, if he doesn't want to do something, he'll make sure everyone knows about it. He reads the newspaper every morning, and he spends lots of time watching TV. His favorite are samurai shows and sumo wrestling, according to his daughter. So... Uh, watch some TV, read a newspaper, eat some sweets, and get a mineral bath soak, and you'll be fine. You'll yeah. live to be 113. Speaking of candy, by the way, you, you look like you have something you want no, to say. No, no, just uh, it's too late. Okay, all right. <laughs> Speaking of candy, by the way, we say farewell to Neko. Remember Neko wafers? But do I remember Neko wafers? I didn't realize this. I grew up on Neko wafers. Yeah, I didn't realize that Neko is the country's oldest continuously operating candy company. And earlier this week, it just shut really? down. Abruptly, Better than, just shut down. Longer than C's Candy? Longer than C's Candy, Best yeah. Best chocolate in the world. They C's were candy. sold to a new company last month, uh, and uh, because it was purchased at a bankruptcy auction, and the new company just shut it down. Round Hill Investments is the name of the new company. Not only did Neko do the Neko wa wafers, <laughs> but, you know, every Valentine's Day, you see those really yeah, those right. candy hearts with the little messages on it. Those came from... Neko as well. So they are done. They are not producing candy, and it looks like they're not going to be coming back. 230 workers in the building uh, now without a job. End of civilization as we know it. You'd, you'd think that a president like Donald Trump, who loves his junk food, would take this more seriously. But uh, no word from the president yet. Or the 230 jobs that were lost. They just better not get rid of Milky Ways. Oh, man, forget it. Right? Forget I mean, it. There, there, there are certain things that you could not live without. Yeah. This is the Bill Press Show. Donald Trump backs down, says, no, I'm not inviting Vladimir Putin to the White House after all. Not this year. Mm, maybe never. Hey, hello, everybody. What do you say? God, it's hard keeping track with all the changes of, of opinion and not changes of opinion necessarily, but changes of direction and zigzags on the part of this White House. We saw a couple of really big ones yesterday on top of uh, several other big ones, uh, which just further proves that he doesn't know what the hell he is doing. Hello, everybody. Happy Thursday, Thursday, July 26th. Good to see you today. Thanks for being part of the program. Thanks for joining us. Here we are in our studio on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C., the capital of the free world, reaching out to you coast to coast with all the news of the day and joining you online on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Don't forget, podcast weekend coming up, special stuff on the weekend on the podcast and all throughout the day, every day, as long as you sign up for the podcast at billpressshow.com. Uh, it's easy to do. It doesn't cost you anything, and that way you are a real member of the team. Also looking at you on Free Speech TV nationwide and of course, 
on the radio, both statewide in Indiana and all through the greater Chicago area on WCPT, the big progressive voice of Chicago. Yeah, where do we start? There is so much news uh, yesterday. By the way, great lineup of guests today. Melanie Zanona, good friend of ours from The Hill, will be along uh, to bring us up to date on all the latest political news, particularly from The Hill and the jockeying for speaker on The Hill. Uh, Then we'll be joined by Ryan Riley from HuffPost, who was on pool duty yesterday and a pretty um, busy day down at the White House where the head of the EU was in town uh, and also where the White House uh, kicked a CNN reporter out of a Rose Garden event because they didn't like the question she had asked earlier in the day. We'll talk to Ryan about that. Uh, And Patrick McHugh joins us from the Big Pack Priorities USA on what their priorities are uh, this year on the Democratic side, both House races, Senate races, governor's races, and what we might expect from all of those. So a lot coming up here uh, uh, today. We start, let's start, yeah, with this big surprise where, um, you know, first of all, there were two surprises. Uh, The one surprise was Donald Trump's first response to all the criticism he got after his big cave-in and his big meltdown with Vladimir Putin uh, in Helsinki before the eyes of the entire world, uh, Mr. Tough Guy, Mr. Make-A-Deal, get up there and just melted and agreed with anything Vladimir Putin had to say, including believing Putin that Russia had done nothing to interfere in the 2016 election um, directly in, in direct contradiction to what had been told uh, the president by all of our intelligence agencies, the director of national intelligence, uh, the FBI, the Justice Department, the NSA, the Senate Intelligence Committee, on and on and on. He said, no, he believed Putin over all of our guys. Uh, So he got all the criticism for that. But his first response, remember Donald Trump's first response was, damn the torpedoes, full speed ahead. Uh, if you didn't like that meeting, well, I thought it was a great meeting. I thought it was such a great meeting. I'm going to have another one. I'm going to have another one this year, damn it, in the White House, damn it. So take that. And right in the middle of the midterms, I don't care. You can just suffer. You're going to have to go out and defend it. I'm going to meet with Vladimir Putin in the White House. Uh, Well, people didn't like that too much either, particularly members of this party. Remember Paul Ryan said, well, he may come to Washington, but he's not coming up here We're not going to let him speak to a joint session of Congress because we only do that for friends of ours. Uh, Mitch McConnell said he may be at the White House. He's not going to he's not going to he's not welcome on Capitol Hill. So uh, it is kind of amazing to find out what it is that they will or won't go along with, you know, because they've gone along with so much. Almost everything else. But this is too far for them. Right. And uh, I mean, as it should be, to be clear. Thank you. Yeah. And it is their territory. And boy. Can you imagine if they had let Vladimir Putin stand where Pope Francis stood, right, or where Benjamin Netanyahu stood or Emmanuel Macron stood? Yeah, Vladimir Putin? Uh, No. Uh, So at any rate, uh, it just proves once again that um, you can get to Donald Trump, and they did finally get to Donald Trump because yesterday he said, I changed my mind. Uh, We've told... And by the way, just the day before, we played that clip, just the day before, Sarah Huckabee Sanders had said that John Bolton was 
meeting with the Russians, making plans for the September visit. Uh, yesterday, one day later, John Bolton put out a statement saying, we've decided we're going to postpone that visit. It won't take place in September. It'll take place sometime next year. And the phony excuse they gave was, we want to wait until Robert Mueller completes his investigation. <laughs> they don't want Vladimir Putin here, they said, while the Russian investigation <clears throat> a.k.a. witch hunt, is still going on, uh, which is really ridiculous because uh, there's no promise that Robert Mueller will be finished by next year. Well, the, the Paul Manafort trial starts next Tuesday. Then there's another trial after that of Paul Manafort. And Robert Mueller's just getting started on the people that he's indicting. So remember, Ken Starr took five years, five and a half years. Uh, so Robert Mueller's not necessarily going to wind up in a year and a half or two. With a, with a little luck, Robert Mueller will indict Donald Trump. Before then. Mm, probably around 2020, maybe October <laughs> of 2020. And if Robert Mueller doesn't do it, then hopefully the voters will. So uh, that was the uh, phony excuse uh, th- th- that, they, that, they gave, uh, th- that they gave yesterday. Uh, and then Donald Trump. So that was sort of a big cave-in. Um, but there was another cave-in yesterday, and that is... All this talk about, again, tariffs, and the farmers are complaining, come on, these tariffs are really hurting us. And we heard, this, again, you gotta, you got to run fast, folks, to keep up with these zigzags, right? Just day before yesterday, he's out in Kansas, and he says, come on, farmers, be patient. We know you're hurting now, but in the long run, it's going to be okay. I'm not going to back down. I'll give you $12 billion if you shut up. Between now and uh, an election, maybe that'll help out, right? So, yeah, I hurt you, and I'm going to give you a little money to help you just a little bit. But basically, suck it up is what he told farmers. I'm not going to change on tariffs. And then yesterday, and he had even threatened more tariffs, right? I mean, we've got the $300 billion now with China, but he originated the tariffs on aluminum steel on the EU, um, they retaliated with $3.3 billion in tariffs on U.S. products, like particularly Kentucky bourbon, blue jeans, and some other stuff. Uh, and then Donald Trump says, okay, I'm going to get back at you. I'm going to put some tariffs on foreign cars. We're going to fix you. Uh, and we heard that last week. Last week, he was asked by Jeff Glor of CBS News, who are the biggest foes of the United States? Yeah, he didn't say Bashar al-Assad. He didn't say Vladimir Putin. He didn't say Kim Jong-un. He said the EU, the biggest foe of the United States. So the uh, president of the EU comes to the White House yesterday, and it was a big love fest. Donald Trump totally, totally collapsed, totally folded, and said, we're, not going, to, we're going to put a pause on our tariffs, and we're not going to put any more tariffs on, and we're going to not, not do that car thing. And I don't know whether you've seen, but you've got to see, the photo of this, what's, I even forget the guy's name, but uh, anyhow, giving Donald Trump a great big French kiss on his neck. Disgusting. <laughs> so, oh, dude, that's uh, terrible. So it's, it's just such a pattern where Donald Trump talks so tough. He's going to destroy North Korea. And then he has the big bromance with Kim Jong-un, right? He's going to... We're going to be really tough on China. And he invites President Xi down to Mar-a-Lago, and they have the big chocolate cake, and they're best friends forever. He's going to really, he's not going to take any stuff from from Russia. 
and the season Crimea and invading Ukraine or something. And it gets together with Vladimir Putin and the big French kiss of Putin and now the EU. It's just this pattern. It's Talk over tough. and over and over again. I, I mean, yeah. it just goes back to remember during the campaign when he went to Mexico to go meet with the president of Mexico in and the th- middle of all of his heated rhetoric about they're going to build the wall. And they're didn't build even the wall. talk to him about the wall. Didn't even bring it up. No. Didn't right. even bring it up. Yeah. And so this whole so, caricature of this big, strong American president and our big, strong policy. It's phony. It's total BS. Total phony. It's yeah. total BS. Anytime any of you really confront him, he backs down. Quickly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I'm not saying he did the wrong thing. He did the wrong thing on putting the tariffs on, in my humble opinion. Uh, but just seeing him back down again. So, uh, by the way, he was getting some... Um, some feedback. Here's Ted Cruz yesterday saying, uh, look, this guy is, uh, you know, he's just gone on this trade stuff in the wrong direction. Ted Cruz, of all people. I think it's the wrong approach uh, to be looking at tariffs and, and government bailouts. Uh, <laughs> and uh, Donald Trump had called all the, uh, they had a big meeting with these Republicans from the heartland representing these farmers who were really upset about the tariffs. And I was wondering about this because, you know, he's calling them all down to the White House. And, and you know they're not happy with these tariffs. So how is he going to handle that? Well, he handled that by basically not having the meeting in the first place. What he did was they, came, they showed up at the White House and they were ushered into the Rose Garden to sit in the front seats while Donald Trump makes his announcement with the head of the EU and then – the, the 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 meeting with the senators never takes place. Pat Roberts from Kansas, not very happy. We arrived there and then we became eye candy on the side. <laughs> I saw one of them said they became eye candy. They got to the White House. They, like you said, there was a group of them that are from farm states. Yeah, in the I, I saw that list and senators. I thought, boy, this is not going to be pretty. And I saw uh, one of them. One of the senators said in an interview <laughs> that they walked into the White House. And they heard Trump say, when's my next meeting? What's the next meeting? And they said, you're meeting with the Republican senators. And he said, bring them out to the Rose Garden. They're going to want to hear what I have to say. And that was the meeting. Yeah. He, the, the meeting never happened. He just brought them out and made them watch him give this statement and then went back to his office. And by the way, so that will, like, somewhat help the farmers, like, they're yeah, they do buy some soybeans in Europe, but the big customer for soybeans is China, and the tariffs against China still stand. So this is not a lot of relief for the farmers. By the way, is Jean Claude Juncker, I guess you pronounce it. Of name. course. However, he he's the uh, uh, the head of the EU who met with the president yesterday, um, and and here was uh, there in the Rose Garden, Donald Trump making his announcement about this new trade deal with the EU. We agreed today, first of all, to work together towards zero tariffs, <laughs> zero non-tariff barriers, and zero subsidies on non-auto industrial goods. Thank you. Yes. And he says, um, again, sort of classic. By the way, there are no specifics about what they agreed to. It's all another one of these fuzzy things about, like, like Singapore. Oh, we solved all the problems of the world. Nobody knew what happened. No, but there's no evidence yet that anything specific happened after Singapore. No, no change in the real world at all. 
It's kind of the same thing yesterday because he says, okay, well, we made a deal. Actually, we don't know what's in it. We don't know what the hell we're doing, but we're going in the right direction. While we are working on this, we will not go against the spirit of this agreement unless either party terminates the negotiation. So we're starting the negotiation right now, but we know very much where it's going. <laughs> Does that a, make any sense to no, you at all? No, no. So that's a nothing statement, right? He has no idea, no idea what he's doing or uh, where he's going. So uh, at any rate, uh, that was the deal on the, the double double blink yesterday, if you will, on uh, Vladimir Putin at the White House and on tariffs. Uh, by the way, at the Rose Garden ceremony yesterday, there was um, it was pretty crowded. Um, I wasn't down there. It had not been. It was thrown together at the last minute. Yeah, it was not actually ever announced to the press corps. Those who were there were invited out to the Rose Garden, uh, with the exception of one person. Caitlin Collins from CNN was not present. She was not present because she was disinvited by Bill Shine, the new communications director, former head of Fox News, uh, and by Press Secretary Sarah Huckabee Sanders. Caitlin Collins, by the way, who's not a very tough reporter at all. She's a good reporter, and she asks good, tough questions, but I mean, she's not antagonistic at all. I mean... Uh, she's very polite. She's very professional. Um, Caitlin Collins was disinvited because earlier in the day, during the photo op with uh, the head of the EU, uh, she, like reporters do, they come in, they take their picture, and the two people usually make a statement, and then reporters toss out questions. That's the whole thing I've been doing going on since the days of Franklin Roosevelt, if not before. And they ask questions. What do they ask questions about? Anything they want, anything particularly in the news of the day. So she asked a question, I would have too, yesterday morning about the tape. Did he have any comment about the Michael Cohen tape? Michael Cohen, his personal attorney that he had praised as being his best friend in the world. Uh, and she also, there was one other thing she asked about, but, but, but particularly uh, that, was the big, that was the big thing. Um, oh, I know, about the other Putin meeting. Because there was a rumor that Putin had turned. By the way, that could still be the case. Yeah, no, I, I wouldn't. That Putin had turned down the invitation. Yeah. So she asked those two questions, and Sarah could be sentenced. So it was inappropriate, totally inappropriate for her to ask about that tape. No, it wasn't. It's the news of the day. It's a big story of the day, and they tossed her. For the uh, tossed her, said she was not invited. Therefore, to the afternoon event, punished her, and I'll tell you, the reaction was swift. And I am proud of my fellow colleagues in the White House press corps because it was unity, show of unity like we haven't seen before. Uh, Olivier Knox, our good friend, the new president of the White House Correspondents Association, immediately put out a statement denouncing it, said this cannot stand. We will not allow the White House to decide who's involved in an event and who's not. That last time we saw that show of unity was under Obama, the Obama administration, when at the very, very beginning they tried to ban Fox News from uh, a gathering because they said they didn't like uh, the questions Fox News had been asking, and everybody stood together in support of Fox News. Yesterday, everybody stood together in support of CNN, including Fox News. Here uh, yesterday evening on Fox News, uh, anchor Brett Baer. Earlier in the day, as the network pool reporter, Collins was told by White House Deputy Chief of Staff for Communications, 
Bill Shine and Press Secretary Sarah Sanders that her questions were inappropriate. They were not. Just because the White House is uncomfortable with the question regarding the news of the day doesn't mean the question isn't relevant and shouldn't be asked. This decision to bar a member of the press is retaliatory in nature and not indicative of an open and free press. We demand better. As a member of the White House press pool, Fox stands firmly with CNN on this issue of access. So far, no response from the White House. All right. Good for you, Brett Baer. All right. Fox is not the strongest possible statement, but... I nearly fell out of my chair. I know, but still... Fox stands with CNN. Fox stands with CNN. Can you imagine if Donald yeah. Trump saw that? <laughs> he would, he would lose he his did. mind. I hope he did. And by the way, um, I, I've been waiting to see what uh, Fox and Friends might do with that this morning. I don't think they're going to talk about it because they might lose their right. audience of one. He's probably watching brett bear he's definitely watching fox and friends uh, he's in bed right now watching fox and friends. Uh, abs- absolutely but uh, good good for fox news for standing up and good for the white house press corps for for hanging strong and come on i mean yeah oh that question is inappropriate so now what are they saying you have to get your questions cleared but this is like last week when donald trump in helsinki or london would not take a question from Jim Acosta and went instead to, where else, Fox News and John Roberts of Fox News. Uh, By the way, CNN got another endorsement yesterday. I I thought this was really funny. From the First Lady of the United States, we had told you yesterday morning that Donald Trump, baby Trump, threw a temper tantrum, uh, temper tantrum, when he uh, boarded Air Force One on the way to Europe and discovered... (laughs) In the First Lady's suite, God forbid that they would share the same suite on Air Force One, um, that um, he noticed that the First Lady's television was tuned to CNN. And the rule, the Trump rule on Air Force One is every TV will be tuned to Fox News, every single one. You can't choose. They all have to be on Fox News. He threw a you-know-what fit. Uh, about the first lady's day, demanded to know who turned it to CNN, blah, 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 blah. So it turns out it might have been the first lady herself who tuned it to CNN because her spokesperson yesterday from the White House put out a statement saying the first lady will watch any channel she wants. I, I thought that was really interesting. It was like the first lady rebuking her husband. You know she had to approve that statement going out. She could have said nothing. She could have just ignored it. Uh, no, she had her st- person put out a, a statement saying, the First Lady decides what she wants to watch on television. She will watch any channel she wants. Mm, I mean, I don't know whether you can get she... a divorce over which channel you watch. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's amazing that the First Lady has to put a statement out I know. Defending her right to watch whatever she feels like watching. But the fact that she would, I yeah. thought. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, boy, we didn't even get, we got a lot of time left, but we didn't even get to the uh, Mike Pompeo uh, clash yesterday uh, on Capitol Hill. But to something else that I think is maybe even more important, uh, a judge is ruling yesterday. We've talked about this several times about Donald Trump being in violation of the Emoluments Clause Yes, never heard of it before. None of us ever did. Couldn't pronounce it, let alone spell it. 
But it's an important part of the Constitution that says the president of the United States cannot accept gifts from or income or revenue from foreign governments. Uh, there is a lawsuit that's been mm, plodding along, filed by the attorneys general of the District of Columbia and the state of Maryland that says that because Donald Trump is president and his Trump International Hotel is getting all this extra business because he's president, uh, from foreign governments particularly, it is hurting local restaurants uh, and hotels who are losing business because of this, and therefore, and that Donald Trump, in so doing, is in violation of the Emoluments Clause, and that's hurting local businesses. Uh, the White House originally said this is a ridiculous lawsuit. They have no right to sue. Uh, an earlier judge's opinion said, oh, yes, they do. They've got standing. They can sue. So then the White House says, no, this is ridiculous. It's without merit. You have to throw it out. Uh, a judge yesterday issued a 52-page opinion <coughs> saying, no, this suit does have merit. It can proceed, and it will proceed, which is huge. Just uh, a, a quick statement from the, uh, from the, from the, from the judge's ruling uh, says that, Sole or substantial ownership of a business that receives hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars a year in revenue where foreign and domestic governments are known to stay most definitely raises the potential for undue influence and would be well within the contemplation of the Emoluments Clause. So said the judge. Yeah, it makes all kinds of sense. Now, here's what's interesting about that. If this case proceeds, this is into a Donald Trump business property. So this is going to open the door to all kinds of information about his finances and including his tax returns yeah, one way or the other. They're going to get to it. Uh, and then it's too bad Jamie's not still here because – What's also interesting is the one case that the uh, D.C. And, and, and Maryland um, put forth as sort of evidence of how, how this works uh, has to do with the governor of Maine. This not a foreign government, the governor of Maine. There are lots of cases of foreign governments changing. They, they had things scheduled like at other hotels in town. And they changed the location and put it in the Trump Hotel so they can tell Donald Trump, hey, we had our event in your hotel. So there are all of those. But on top of that, there's this one case where the governor of Maine, Paula Page, comes to Washington, and he and his entourage stay in the Trump Hotel. And the next day at the White House, the president announces, uh, remember this whole uh, presidential executive order about some national park in Maine? Yeah. That Paula Page yes. didn't didn't like and yes. wanted and the president said one of these national monuments i think it was yeah uh and 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 donald trump says we're going to do what the governor of maine wants and we're going to take away this standing for that national oh, monument wow. uh in maine yeah um he was at, at, the, at the news conference he announced he was reviewing decisions related to national monuments and parks that have been adopted by the obama administration which paul lepage opposed so they said there's that one case where it clearly was a quid pro quo. You know, this is a so good reminder. This this case moving forward, 
This is a BFD. Yeah. Really a BFD. We, we've talked to our friend Adam Smith from every yes. week a bunch of times yes. about the emoluments, and, and one of the things he's always told us is, you know, this is going to take some time. Right. This is not something that happens immediately. You have to sort of build the case, and it has to work its way through the courts. It's been a year and a half now that Donald Trump has been president. They yeah. started this almost immediately after he became president. Now some of these things are actually going to have their day in court. Right. Uh, so, you know, you got you got all that Stormy Daniels stuff, all that Karen McDougal stuff. You got all the Paul Manafort stuff. You got all the Robert Mueller stuff. But this other lawsuit, this may be the one that brings them down. And this goes right to the heart of Donald Trump's business operations. And this lawsuit against the president of the United States is continuing. It's hard for him to spin his way out of the numbers. Mm, yeah. bald, bald don't lie. Bald don't lie. <laughs> there you go. All right. Just getting started. Lots to talk about. Melanie Zanona joins us, staff writer for The Hill, particularly covering the pres- uh, politics on The Hill. Uh, we'll take a quick break. We'll be right back on this Thursday, July 26th. This is The Bill Press Show. Hey, you bet it is on a Thursday, July 26th, the Bill Press Show live from Washington, D.C. in our studio on Capitol Hill, where we're brought to you today by the American Federation of Government Employees. Yes, those good men and women of the AFGE under President J. David Cox. Uh, They're the people that uh, run and keep and manage and keep our federal agencies running Coast to coast every day of the year. Proud to get up and work for America every day. We salute them and thank them for their support of the program. It's funny, I got a uh, um, a note on Twitter yesterday that uh, J. David Cox had tweeted for the first time in a long time. Hey, all right. Uh, so I guess like Maggie Haberman, he had gone off uh, Twitter for a while. Taking a hiatus. And sort of uh, came back here. Melanie Zanona joins us from The Hill covering a lot of the political shenanigans going on on the Hill. Melanie, it's nice to see you. Hey, thanks for having me again. Thanks for making it in. Uh, on the first day in, what, five or six, that hasn't been raining yes. in the morning. So very nice, thankful for that. Nice to see you. Uh, we've been at it for a little while here this morning, stirring up some uh, comments. Peter? Yes, indeed. We're on Twitter, at BP Show, at BP Show. Jim Johnson has an idea for you, Bill. He says, we need you. Jim Jordan or Jim Johnson? Jim Johnson, not oh. Jim Jordan, Jim Johnson. <laughs> uh, Jim Johnson says, Bill, we need you to organize the White House press corps walking out of the next, next presser and stay out bashing the press. You know that that has been my dream. You know that that has been something <laughs> I have advocated to friends. Uh, you know that I would love to lead that walkout. You also know it ain't never going to happen because there are too many people who would not do it. Yeah. Some uh, because they are Trump lovers. Uh a few of those in there, but also others just because they, they love their jobs. They, yeah. Yeah. They think they ought to stay there. Uh, on that note, audio, J- jobs. audio Jode on Twitter says next press <laughs> conference, every reporter in the room should ask the same question over and over again, regardless of the answer, just to make a point. Uh, uh, I've made that point too. Yeah. I get- Thank you for all the good advice. (laughs) Wish we could make it happen. On Melania watching CNN, David Cochran says (laughs) Melania is only watching CNN so that she can find out about who Trump is having sex with besides her. (laughs) She's researching for her divorce. Fox News does not cover the affairs. You have a comment on any topic at any time, find us on Twitter 
at BP Show, at BP Show. We'll find your comments there and read them on air. All right. Uh, thank you, Peter. Yes, indeed. Keep those comments coming, as Peter says, at BP Show. So, uh, Melanie, yesterday um, there's a lot, been a lot of talk about impeachment, uh, but people have been talking to Democrats about impeaching Donald Trump. Yesterday, Republicans mm-hmm. are starting their own impeachment hearings, but not about Donald Trump. That's right. It's Deputy AG Rod Rosenstein who is overseeing the Russia probe. There's been weeks of frustration with conservatives over the Russia probe. It's a lot of Trump's top allies on Capitol Hill. They've sort of been dangling this threat over Rod Rosenstein's head. They finally had a meeting with DOJ Thursday afternoon, and then shortly after, they filed the impeachment articles. Uh, so are they? have they scheduled any hearings? No. Yeah. No hearings, no markups, no indication <laughs> that this is going to come to the floor. It was filed as non-privileged, which means it's not going to be forced uh, to, to go on the House floor. So it's definitely more of a warning shot and a political messaging strategy, but it's something that the Freedom Caucus has done with success in the past. You know, with they did it for ousting John Boehner. They tried to do this around the same time in 2015, right before the August recess. They filed a motion to vacate. You know, they ended up pulling it, but then John Boehner did resign two months later. Uh, what are the grounds for impeachment? So, you know, they say that FBI has acted improperly. I thought impeachment is high crimes and misdemeanors. Uh, they, well, they say one of their biggest pet peeves with Rod Rosenstein is that he has purposely, in their words, slow walked the, their request for documents in the Russia probe. They say the start of the investigation was biased and that it, it came from, you know, a place of trying to go after Trump as opposed to actually finding out what happened in Russia. Yeah, right. They're, 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 they're basically taking Donald Trump's witch hunt thing and running with it and trying, exactly. to, right, and trying to change the focus from what Russia did to how the FBI has conducted the investigation. We've been, we've been through that so many times. Um, but um, they, and, this re, and part of that is this request for documents. We want all the documents. Well, last week, the FBI actually released some of those documents because the White House has said they should or said they must release those documents. The documents didn't make the case that the Freedom Caucus or the Republicans had been making. Right. And the documents. I mean, the documents. So they finally get the documents and the documents. Surprise, surprise. Don't say Mm -hmm. what they said they were going to say. I think there's a lot of cherry picking (laughs) when it comes to what when the documents are released. They conservatives will seize on certain aspects of it. And it's really come down to who can yell louder at this point. And the conservatives have done a very good job on that. They go on Fox News regularly, CNN, MSNBC, (coughs) making the cage for the witch hunt. They've been laying this groundwork for months that Rod (coughs) Rosenstein should be impeached or held in contempt. And they finally pulled the trigger yesterday. But to your point, you're exactly right. A lot of these documents did not even, in fact, proved the opposite of some of the things they were saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They said these documents will prove that this was started by the Democrats to get even with Donald Trump because they can't accept the fact that that he got elected. In fact, the document showed that the FBI investigation started a year earlier uh, through what they heard about George Step- Papadopoulos mm-hmm. and that Carter Page had been under suspicion and investigation by the right. FBI since ni- 2013, and long the, before the campaign started. Another key point that they keep bringing up is that the dossier was you know, funded by the DNC and Hillary right, Clinton, right. and it was a piece of political research. But the FBI documents released this weekend showed that the FBI did have an entire one-page explanation that this was put together by someone who was seeking to discredit the Trump campaign, but they still had reason to believe that there was some credibility to it. 
Right. And that dossier, as we know, originally paid for by Republicans who were uh, opposed to Donald Trump during the 2016 primary. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, the never, so the never Trumper. So, uh, so bottom line, this impeachment thing was a big publicity stunt and it's going nowhere. That's exactly right. But what I'm going to be watching for today is who are these people that are running for GOP speaker and where do they stand on this impeachment push? Good point. Because and, uh, the Conservative Freedom Caucus is going to be key to whoever wants to be speaker. They're going to need their support. So if they don't fall in line and support this push, they might not get the vote of the Freedom Caucus, which is critical. Well, I thought this whole thing was already resolved for the race for speaker on the Republican side. It's Kevin McCarthy. <laughs> not if you talk to Republicans at the Capitol. Really? Yeah. Mark Meadows just told me the other day, I can assure you, no one in the Capitol right now has 218 votes for speaker. Those were his words this week. Um, you know, Paul Ryan has said, <laughs> I want it to be him. McCarthy has said, I want it to be me. He just said yeah. that this yeah. week. But he doesn't have the votes right now. They're not there yet. I think if they had the votes, they would have called the elections by now. Poor McCarthy is like always the bridesmaid, never the bride, right? You know, he try, he thought he had it wrapped up before. Right, in 2015. Right. And I guess the Freedom Caucus turned on him. Whatever, he didn't have 218 votes. So how many? who are the other candidates and how many of them are there? Well, number one, the, the, the general thinking is if McCarthy can't clinch, then Scalise, the number three Republican, the majority whip, will be waiting in the wings, sort of. So he's the sort of assumed next front runner. Who has kind of said he wouldn't run against McCarthy. Exactly. He wouldn't openly challenge McCarthy. But if McCarthy does drop out willingly or voluntarily, he will step up to the plate. But there's a chance neither of them can make it. They're both members of leadership. There could be a lot of frustration within the party, a desire for new faces. And in that case, someone could really swoop in a sort of dark horse candidate. Someone in the conference who has some good visibility, who is well-liked, but ne- not necessarily a member of the leadership team. But st- I would imagine that Steve Scalise has good contacts with the and good support among the Freedom Caucus, one would think, from Louisiana. I mean, Yeah, he's a conservative. He's more conservative than McCarthy. Yeah. I think in some respects, <laughs> McCarthy's more willing to wheel and deal than Scalise. McCarthy's a politician. He's a lawmaker. He, you know, he's a backslapper. I think... That could be appealing to the Freedom Caucus. But at the end of the day, it's are they willing to give up some of their power as speaker in exchange for getting the Freedom Caucus votes? And I'm not sure that they are. One name that was talked about um, as another dark horse candidate uh, was Jim Jordan. Or is Jim is or was? What's the right tense for Jim Jordan? I think was is the right tense. I think him. was. I think he was a little bit of damaged goods after these OSU allegations. The investigation is still open. It has largely blown out of the headlines. You're not hearing a lot of people talk about this anymore. But the fact that he had these very serious allegations come out, uh, you know, that he was sort of very deeply involved in, it's not good. It's not It's not an easy argument to make. It was already going to be a difficult path for him to get to speaker. He's made a lot of enemies in the conference. And I think this just makes it a lot easier for people to pass on him. Right. Yeah, it's not in the headlines anymore, but it hasn't gone away. Right, right? And, and the investigation's still ongoing. So, <laughs> depending on the results of that, there could be some more blowback. The investigation's ongoing. I don't know whether any charges have actually been filed against anybody, but but not yet. Or, or it was just opened in April him. by the school opened its own independent investigation. Right, uh, and um, is there any? Is there any contest on the Democratic side? 
for for speaker. I mean, I know I keep hearing some people say they're not going to support Nancy Pelosi, but who, if not Nancy, who's running on the Democratic side? Well, they say there's there's two schools of thought. The first one is that there could be a sort of transitional figure. You hear that a lot. So someone who's in the leadership team now, so maybe Clyburn or Steny Hoyer, and that they would step up to the plate, you know, maybe for a two-year period and but, groom but, the next generation, and then they would step aside but, and allow but, someone else to come up. But, but <laughs> to go from uh, Nancy Pelosi to Steny Hoyer or James Clyburn, and they're all three good friends and they're all three great people. I don't mean to disparage any one of them, but that's, that doesn't solve a problem. Exactly. If the idea It would is, be a temporary. But not even temporarily it doesn't solve the problem. If the idea is she's too old, she's been around too long, she's too old, she's another, we need a new generation of leadership. And that's the second school of thought. Is you that don't they need put to, in a, a Steny Hoyer or a James Clyburn. Yeah, you keep Nancy Pelosi in that case. The other thinking is that you just bring in someone completely new, maybe someone young, someone progressive. You're hearing a lot of calls. Right. Who's who? That's what I want. Who? Who? Well, who? Tim Ryan, who actually won up against Pelosi once before. But he said he wasn't going to run again. Well, now we're hearing that he is considering making another bid. Uh, but he's also considering running for 2020. Got to get him back in. <laughs> yeah, totally. you should. Tim Ryan's a, f- a frequent guest of ours. Yeah. Who has said here that, you know, no, he's. You should get him back because in the last, I think, two weeks is when he has come out and said he would be interested in, and he's considering the idea. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he's one. There's also a, you know, a race for some of these lower level leadership positions. We've seen Barbara Lee and Linda Sanchez are now vying to replace Crowley as the fourth ranking Democrat. Uh, and you're seeing a lot of progressives putting their names out there. Ro Khanna is a liberal from the Bay Area. He is also part of the Progressive Caucus. He potentially could be running for a spot. Um, Mark Pocan. There's a whole list of names of people that are interested in considering, but not a lot of people have officially declared. Right. Um, so there are all these people in the wing. David Cicilline from Rhode Island is also, I know, considering. Um, right. That's another one. Uh, going for one of these leadership posts as well. Right. Yeah. I mean, Crowley's lost really through the races wide open. Uh, and so there could be just as much jockeying on the Democratic side as the Republican side. I heard a rumor the other night that Joaquin Jeffries, is I the name right? Hakeem Jeffries. Hakeem. Yes, Hakeem, he's yeah. also considering right. for that same number four spot to replace Crowley. So it could be Barbara Lee, Linda Sanchez, right. and Hakeem Jeffries. It would be a three-way race. Whoa. Yeah. Whoa. And Linda Sanchez and Barbara <laughs> Lee faced off again for the fifth spot, which Linda Sanchez currently holds. And Barbara Lee lost only by two votes. So they're headed for a rematch, and it could be really tight. That was for the deputy caucus chair. The vice. Vice. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Boy, a lot of politics going on on the Hill. I know. Who would have thought? (laughs) No policy, all politics. We used to talk about this stuff all the time, and I assume it's still going on. It just gets overshadowed by the the, craziness out of the, uh, the White House. Yeah, that's exactly right. So it's and it's all also in a sense. Uh, you got to start now, but you, they can't really get into it until the midterms are resolved, right? Right, and that's what you'll hear from a lot of lawmakers publicly anyway. They say we can't. You know, we got to focus on keeping the house or in the Democratic House case, taking back the house. But the reality is, there isn't a lot of time to line up votes. The house is out all of August. They're back in September and then gone again in October, and then the elections are there. 
after that, there's not a lot of time to get your supporters. So there is a lot of private behind the scenes jockeying going on to get those votes now. Right. Um, and what are you hearing about uh, how things stack up for control of the House? And I mean, blue wave or not? Yeah, it's interesting. I was talking to Steve Sivers yesterday. He's the head of the House GOP's campaign <laughs> arm. And he said they're feeling OK. They're feeling pretty good. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Is that spin? A little. Well, you know, I asked him, are you worried about Russia and how this is going to impact you guys in the midterms? Is this going to trample your message? They're trying to talk tax reform and some other accomplish accomplishments when they go home. He said, you know, Trump's poll numbers are higher than ever. So they're they're not too worried back in middle America how Russia is going to impact things. But I will tell you one area where he did sound concerns was this tariff tariff issue and this potential trade war. I think that is one area where you're going to see the most sense of urgency. I think that's why the administration decided to potentially release this $12 billion tariff package to help farmers. Then you saw the breakthrough yesterday of a potential deal to end this trade war with the EU. Uh, so Republicans are worried about the tariffs. But you say overall he feels pretty comfortable, meaning that they'll hold on to control of the House. I talked to another Republican who said he put the odds at 60-40 that they keep it. Keep it. Keep it. And what are the Democrats feeling? The Democrats are feeling like they have a chance, but they're worried that they're going to blow it. That's, you know, 100 days out right now. There's a lot of concern that anything can happen between now and then. This whole abolish ICE rallying cry uh, has also really divided the party. There's concern the Republicans are going to use this against them, try to use it as a litmus test. Trump has been very effective in being out there on Twitter, you know, saying this is what the Democrats are going to do if they want open borders. They want to let criminals into our country. And using that sort of fear worked on the 2016 campaign trail, and they're worried that it's going to have another effect again in 2018. So what issues are at play in the, what are the main, you know, the whole thing, politics is local. And, you know, people may say, yeah, I prefer Democrats to take over the House, but but when it gets down to my guy, yeah, he's done a pretty good job. I'll, I'll keep him there, right? So you, it's hard to, it's hard to read. Uh, so for congressional districts, are people really going to vote for Congress based on whether Donald Trump had a good meeting in Helsinki with Vladimir Putin? No, absolutely not. They're going right. to vote with their pocketbooks. How do they feel now? Are they feeling the impacts of the tax law or not? Are they worried about their premiums rising? That's another thing. We don't talk about a lot health care up here anymore on Capitol Hill. But back in these districts, whether it's your personal health care, you know, prescription drug prices, the opioid crisis, which is ravaging a lot of communities all across America. Those are the issues that really matter to Americans. And that's why you do hear lawmakers saying we need to take some of what we've been doing in these areas and take it back to our districts. Uh, and it's not about Russia for the, a lot of these folks. Now, uh, now, I'm glad you mentioned health care because I was going to, that's where I was heading, that it, it turns out, and we saw this in Virginia last year with the 15 races where Democrats picked up 15 seats in the state assembly or state, whatever it's called over there, um, the House of Delegates, I believe. The health care turned out to be the number one issue. Joe Manchin, when he talked about Brett Kavanaugh mm -hmm. and whether he might vote for him, he talked about health care. I was in California last week meeting with the California Hospital Association. In California, a third of the people covered by uh, health insurance are, are through Medicaid, it's called, or Medi-Cal, it's called there, which is Medicaid. Mm -hmm. um, and so health care, even more than the tax cuts, may be, I'm seeing or hearing, 
uh, a defining issue. I think you're right. I think that's also why Democrats really seized on the Kavanaugh nomination, saying that he's going to overturn either Roe v. Wade or you know, dismantle the ACA, take away your health care. That was their number one message that they came out with. They've since struggled a little bit with their messaging. They've moved on to other things. But the fact that that was their first instinct is to latch on to that really shows where you think, you know, America's could be voting. on. Well, the plan was right that Republicans, uh, they rushed the tax cut through last no- November, uh, December, actually, because they needed something to run on in 2018 and they found it and right. it was, they were going to run on tax cuts. Are they? They're being told to run on tax cuts. Uh, they got a, a pamphlet. They were walking on a conference meeting on Tuesday, got a pamphlet, a better off now pamphlet with their messaging, talking points. And tax reform is one of them. But when you ask a lot of these people what they're planning to run on, a lot of it is pointing to what the Democrats would do if they're in charge, less about their own accomplishments and more about Democrats taking away your taxes and taking away ICE. Um and in some of these districts, no one's it's too early to really feel whether there's going to be benefits from the tax law for a lot of these people. The filing period hasn't happened yet. So it's hard to run on something when people haven't seen the impacts yet. Right. The whole idea that every American family would have a tax cut, therefore they'd be so grateful they all mm-hmm. run out and run. It's not happening because, first of all, the tax cuts, if they if they exist at all, are minimal. People don't even know it's there. Right. Right. Uh, and uh, the big the big tax cuts, of course, go to the wealthiest of Americans and the big corporations. Interesting, related to this, New York Times front page uh, this morning says that because of the Trump tax cuts, cutting corporate taxes from, what was it, 35 down to 21, uh, corporate tax revenue has fallen off, of course, which means that it is driving up the deficit faster than was predicted when the tax cuts were passed. Uh, be, the way things are going now will result in an additional, this, the, the New York Times reporting, I forget who did the study, but it will re- result in an additional $1 trillion. I'm sorry, it's the Office of Management and Budget, so the federal government right. proje- projecting. It's the White House, yeah. Lower tax revenues as a result of the Trump tax cuts will push the deficit up $1 trillion of a additional debt over the next decade. And this is exactly what some, at least conservatives, were worried about, this fiscal, yeah, yeah, looking no. like no longer the party of fiscal Another responsibility. Another trillion dollars of debt, right, thanks to the right. Trump tax cuts. Now they're the party of tariffs, <laughs> bailouts, deficits, and apparently Russia. So, Well, um, <laughs> the Hill had um, a visitor, this important visitor this week, right, who came in kind of under the radar. Very under the radar. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. There was no media circus. There was no public announcements, not even a tweet. She didn't hold a news conference? Or? She didn't. It was very tight-lipped about what her schedule was. She met with a few congressional offices, some of her supporters in the morning. Then she had lunch at the famed Tortilla Coast on Capitol Hill mm. with Rokana. <laughs> oh, God, I'm why sorry didn't she, she ask me? There, there are a lot better places on the Hill to have lunch. Well, you know, the Freedom Caucus started off at the free, at the Tortilla right. Coast. That yeah. was their stomping ground. So maybe she's trying to, you know, really float this idea of the liberal Freedom Caucus. Well, it's interesting that, of course, she's not elected yet, right? No, not yet. But I mean, it's a pretty safe bet in that district. But so she, you know, it's the whole thing about you don't measure the drapes before the election is held. Yeah, they're right? measuring the drapes and ordering the furniture. <laughs> yeah, they are, right? Yeah. Huh? Yeah. 
And um, how is she welcomed by the Democrats? Do people Are people afraid of her because she calls herself a democratic socialist? Well, look, she met with a lot of allies and friendly faces. She met with the prog- members of the Progressive Caucus. She met with Rokana, was the only Democrat to openly support her primary bid. So she didn't meet with some of the people that she's ruffled some feathers with. But last week, one of my colleagues published an article. They did not have some nice words for her. They say, you know, med- every meteor fizzles out. She's going to get her comeuppance. You know, she's going to when she's a freshman on Capitol Hill, she's going to run smack dab into the reality that is Capitol Hill and being a freshman. And she's, you know, made some waves campaigning against or campaigning for people that are running against Democratic incumbents. That's not a way to make friends in Washington. She's a rock star. She'll be great. Yeah, I think she'll be fine. (laughs) And I think they're going to have to learn to deal with her. Hey, so good to see you. Thanks so much for coming Thanks in. Thanks for having me. Follow Melanie at TheHill, thehill.com. Ryan Riley from HuffPost this coming up next. This is The Bill Press Show. Hey, friends, don't be a stranger. Keep up to date with all of The Bill Press Show happenings around the clock on social media. Here's how. You can follow us on Twitter at BP Show or on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash Bill Press Show and on YouTube. YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. And remember, if you haven't already done so, make sure to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. And while you're there, please rate and review the show. That means a lot to us. And thanks so much for your support. Everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show. Live at YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Well, Republicans don't have to worry about Vladimir Putin at the White House in September because he's been disinvited. No, President says, change my mind. Maybe next year, not this year. Hard to keep up with this bouncing ball. Hello, everybody. What do you say? It's a Thursday, Thursday, July 26th. The Bill Press Show, good to see you today, and thank you for joining us as we boom out to you coast to coast from our studio here on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C., capital of the free world. It still was the last time I looked, Uh, although our freedoms are maybe getting uh, trimmed more and more uh, every day as the Trump administration moves on. Uh, We're glad to see you today, and thank you for uh, making us your choice for the morning to find out what's going on. Um, from uh, from a progressive point of view, what's going on here in Washington, around the country, and around the globe. Uh, here in Washington yesterday, to find out what was going on, you just had to read the reports coming out of the White House from pool duty by uh, Ryan Riley from HuffPost, who uh, got a quick night's sleep and joins us this morning. Hey, Ryan, good to see you. Good to see you, too. You had a busy day yesterday. It was a busy day, yeah. I mean, tariffs and... yeah. Putin and all kinds of stuff going on. There was a lot happening. It was a lot of chaos. And, you know, and then a White House reporter uh, getting banned. Well, I was going to congratulate you for not getting you (laughs) on your good behavior yesterday. You did not get banned. (laughs) But if you had been, we would have stood up for you. Well, thanks. Yeah. Yeah. And it was good. We'll talk more about that. A good show of unity on the part of the press corps, I thought. I thought so, yeah. Yesterday in support of Caitlin Collins from uh, CNN. Anyhow, lots to talk about and lots that you will want to comment on. So get your comments in on Twitter at show. But first, this is the Full Court Press. All righty. Just a couple of other stories making news. You know who had a bad day yesterday? Mark uh, Zuckerberg. 
Mark Zuckerberg Again, another yeah, bad had day. a very, very bad day yesterday. So here's the deal. Facebook actually shares of Facebook slid 24% yesterday is what it dropped. At the end of the day, 24% Whoa. is what Facebook shares Whoa, dropped. That, uh, yeah, <laughs> it was really, really bad yesterday. So how does that translate to real-world dollars for Mark Zuckerberg? He lost in one day $16.8 billion. Oh, my God. Oh, boy. Not kidding around. That's how much money Mark Zuckerberg lost yesterday. Now, granted, he can make that back up if it picks back up, but that's how bad it was for him yesterday. So bad, in fact, that he slid from third place on Bloomberg's Billionaire's Index all the way down to sixth place. That's how bad of a day Mark Zuckerberg had. Poor guy. He only has 70 million, excuse me, 70 billion dollars now. Yeah. Yeah, I, you know, he had to walk to work yesterday. He couldn't yeah. afford to drive. He couldn't afford the price of gas. Brother, can you spare a billion or two? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'll tell you. No, no, no crocodile tears, but that's a yeah, no, no. That's a big loss. That's a big, big loss. By the way, you know who else had a, big, a bad day yesterday? Donald Trump, because in Los Angeles, people woke up to his star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame being completely demolished. Uh, with a pickaxe. The guy he, took a... Here's what happened. A guy walked up. He had a guitar case. Yeah. He set it down next to Donald Trump's star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. He pulled out a pickaxe, and he demolished it. Now, this is not the first time that Donald Trump's star has been vandalized on the Hollywood Walk of Fame, but this is without a doubt the most extensive damage that it's seen. It, I mean, there is no longer a star. Is there's it? no star. It's just rubble. Yeah. It's just dust. The guy just completely obliterated it. According to bystanders, the guy then called the police on himself. And, and turned himself in. No, no. Oh. He left the scene before the cops got oh, there. Oh, I knew he called he the cops. And he is nowhere to be found. Oh. So they said he, he called the cops. He yeah. told them what he yeah. did. And then he took off. And police still haven't found the guy. Oh, I didn't hear the end of it. Oh, yeah. wow. Yeah. But it's a felony charge, right? Yeah. it's. I mean, oh, it's. Yeah. he could get in a lot of trouble if, it actually, if but, he actually does okay. get caught. Time for me to point out again that the whole Hollywood star <laughs> thing is just a bogus PR stunt. <laughs> People pay for their own stars. It means absolutely nothing. I would just, if I, you know, if I ever retire, I'll get a pickaxe. I'll destroy them all. Follow us on Twitter at BP Show. This is the Bill Press Show. Unpack your bag, Vlad, baby. You are not invited after all. Maybe next year, but not this year. Big switcheroo yesterday on the part of the White House. Uh, delaying, at least, if not canceling, Vladimir Putin's invitation to the White House because I think too many Republicans told the president, we don't want to have to deal with that in the middle of the midterm elections. What do you say? Hello, everybody. Thursday, July 26th, the Bill Press Show coming at you from our studio on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C. Great to see you today. Uh, Don't forget to send us your comments as we talk about the news of the day on Twitter at BP Show. Whether you're uh, joining us online on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show, watching us on Free Speech TV or listening out in the greater Chicago area on WCPT, the big progressive voice of Chicago, here in studio with us, uh, fresh from White House pool duty yesterday, Ryan Riley from HuffPost. 
Hey, Ryan. It's good to see you. Good to see you, too. So, um, Caitlin Collins from your own pool duty. So, you must have been there in the Oval Office. Yep. With Caitlin Collins, with the um, head of the EU, Jean-Claude Juncker. Is that how you pronounce his name? Juncker. Sure. Let's go with that. Whatever. What did Caitlin Collins do that got her in trouble? I mean, ask the question that everyone sort of, you know, wanted to know about, about the Cohen tapes and what, you know, did Michael Cohen betray the president and, you know, those sort of questions. Okay. So let's back up. Yeah. That's not unusual for a reporter to ask a question at a photo session like that. It's not. And they knew it was coming. I mean, you know, the the press team was very, you know, prepared for this. As soon as as soon as the president said, thank you very much, it was let's go, let's go, let's go, let's get out of here. Let's get out of here and try to get everybody out of the room. Um you know, tariffs weren't really the key question that people had, you know, yeah. had, were sort of posing at that point because we have a situation where, I mean, you just sort of have to, like, you know, rewind for a minute and remember. We have a situation where the president's lawyer taped a conversation in which he's heard discussing <laughs> paying off a Playboy playmate who alleged he had an affair or who alleged she had an affair with the president. Right. You know, right after the first lady gave birth. Um, I mean, <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. quite something. Right in the, in the a, heat of the 2016 election, I mean, that would be this would be like a you know. And the release of that tape was a bombshell. Yeah. After for a year, the White House and the president and his attorneys have been denying that it ever happened, or that if there was any payment, he didn't know anything about it. Mm-hmm. And this OPEC tape, said, you know, we had no knowledge of this at the time. That was a lie. You know. Right. Yada, yada. Right. Mm-hmm. And this tape showed that. Whether they paid in cash or check or whatever, the tape certainly showed that Donald Trump was involved in a conversation with his attorney about making a payment. Right. So it was a big story. It was. There was that and also this Putin deal, which yeah. we'll talk more about, right? So anyhow, so that's what reporters that's that's our job. Right. You have an opportunity like that, throw out a question. Yeah. You may not get an answer. You may or you may not. I remember when the first um Rose Garden events that I attended mm-hmm. uh, was with President Obama, and he had turned away, walking away from the program, and uh, somebody shouted out a, a question having nothing to do with what they'd been talking about. And they were not, the president, it was not a news conference. He had not been taking questions. He turned around, walking back to the Oval Office, and somebody shouted out a question, and Obama turned around and walked back to the podium yeah. and asked the question. And I thought, that's a pretty ballsy thing to do, right? Yeah, and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. And with Trump it works very frequently. He'll yes. take the bait like a lot. He'll if you know, he'll he'll say something, it'll be an offhand remark or he'll go, you know, on extended remarks and basically so I mean it's uh, by the way, and never holds a formal news conference. Right. Yeah, this is the only opportunity that re, you know, reporters really have to press him. You know, most right. of his interviews these days are you know, Sean Hannity, or it's confined to oh, yeah. Yeah, opinion hosts. He hasn't held a formal news conference since February right. 2017. <laughs> no, not 2018, 2017. Mm-hmm. And he, But you're right. He, he For him, it's almost impossible to walk from the Oval to Marine One mm-hmm. without stopping to say something, right? Yeah. He'll, he'll where, makes... where Obama never did. He'd yeah. go right out. Yeah. yeah, I mean, Obama took it sometimes, but I, Trump, Very Trump routinely, routinely right. answers questions that are you know posed to him in these yeah. forms. So, so uh, well, I guess the, yeah. the point I'm making is she was not really out of turn. No, right, and I mean, the whole thing took, um, you know, I mean, this whole exchange from the end of, you know, when he said thank you to when everybody was out of the room, we're talking under a minute here. It wasn't that yeah. extensive, and he had a large, large crowd there. I mean, you know, they were trying to 
you know, pose questions to him as as yeah. <laughs> right. as they were leaving. So yeah. And so they she was informed uh, by Bill Shine, yeah. communications director, knew uh, from Fox News, of course, and Sarah Huckabee Sanders. Uh, well, she was told, "What you're just you're not welcome this afternoon, huh?" Right. So what's interesting is they. I mean, <laughs> I, I was sort of I was standing there when. Did you they, try to ask a question? By the way, did I did. I tossed off a you know just a question during you know. But, yeah. Um, but. So basically, what happened for this afternoon press conference was it was a surprise press conference. There wasn't anything I know. on the schedule. I, I didn't get any notice of it at all. Cause yeah. It was very, you know, very sort of last minute. So there's this sort of, you know, mad scramble, and they say pool assemble and. Every the you know we all line up in in the briefing room and we hear we're going to the Roosevelt room first, um, but then there's there's some um, one Hogan uh, Gidley I think his name mm-hmm. is um, mm-hmm. one of the White House press officials there sort of was asking where you know where's Caitlin where's Caitlin was very interested in where Caitlin was apparently she was downstairs apparently she was working on a story but it it seemed like he made it seem like there was like something very important that he needed to to tell her like something that she'd be really interested in right and you know it was basically like asking for her. So that was relayed to her, I think, by one of her colleagues. And that was the impression that everyone standing around got, that they really actually wanted, like, it wasn't like she was being called in to a task. Yeah. It sounded like they, you know, oh, this is something, I think he said something along the lines of, you know, you're not going to want to miss this or something like that. Like, right. And it was, so they really kind of pulled one over on her. And then, so basically we ended up, we ended up going to the Rose Garden and, you know, she didn't end up going to it. I think, you know, over the course of this, she was probably in that, in that meeting. Um, or at least prior yeah. to the start of the press conference. So it was quite, you know, they, they pulled one over on her, you know, <laughs> to yeah. a certain extent. And she was, on, you know, she was representing all of the cable well, networks at that. Yeah. That well, uh, but, but uh, I thought it was um, um, significant and refreshing uh, that the press corps uh, showed a united front yesterday. Yeah, Olivier Knox, uh, yeah. head of the White House Correspondents Association, put out a very strong statement. Uh, for which I congratulated him right away, uh, saying this this is not acceptable. This is you, you cannot just kick out one reporter because you didn't like the question she asked and then ban her from any uh, open press event. And, and as you pointed out, uh, even Fox News, mm-hmm. CNN had stood with Fox News when Obama tried to oust Fox News from an event. Fox News standing by CNN yesterday it was several uh, uh, personalities did. But Brett Baer sort of giving the official word uh, last night on on his report. Earlier in the day, as the network pool reporter, Collins was told by White House Deputy Chief of Staff for Communications, Bill Shine, and Press Secretary Sarah Sanders that her questions were inappropriate. They were not. Just because the White House is uncomfortable with a question regarding the news of the day doesn't mean the question isn't relevant and shouldn't be asked. This decision to bar a member of the press is retaliatory in nature and not indicative of an open and free press. We demand better. As a member of the White House press pool, Fox stands firmly with CNN on this issue of access. So far, no response from the White House. There it is. Fox standing with CNN. So, yeah. uh, has the White House responded yet? To they did. They ended up putting out this sort of a statement that, I mean, confirmed the basics sort of of this. And um, there, I mean, they made some remark like, "Oh, she wasn't planning on attending the press Anyhow, conference huh? in the afternoon." I, I mean, who knows if that's true? Um, but so regardless, they, they shouldn't have. I mean, <laughs> this was yeah. this is in dire. You know, this is something that you don't want to see the White House doing: banning reporters. Uh, in terms of the news of the day yesterday, uh, it was just the day before uh, that Sarah Huckabee Sanders said that they were 
John Bolton was proceeding, meeting with Russian officials to put together the plans for the White House summit in September. Yeah. Yesterday, they kind of took a different tack. Yeah. We got a quick How'd little, you find out? It was just a quick little, you know, we, I was email dashed off to the the pr- people on duty that day that we sent out to the pool that was, yeah, yep, John Bolton's statement and calling the Mueller investigation a witch hunt, which was sort of, you know, an unofficial statement from the White House, even well, though you yeah. see the president tweeting about it. It's, you know, another thing yep. where you're like, okay, National Security Advisor is putting out a statement um, along those lines that calling it a witch hunt is quite something to see. And announcing that. Yeah, it's, it's often at least until the, you know, next year, which who knows. Until the happen. so-called witch hunt is over, right? right? That's the excuse that they gave. Right. What, 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 why do you think they really pulled it off? I mean, they or never. Or delayed it or put it off. I mean. Putin never agreed to really come, right? I mean, that was the... Well, that's, that's I think, one of the things Caitlin Collins was trying to get at, mm-hmm. right? Had Putin, because the rumors were flying that Putin had not agreed to come. Right. But also, we know that Trump got a lot of flack from Republicans saying, what the hell are you doing? Yeah. In the middle of the midterms. Yeah. You know, putting Vladimir Putin here, forcing us, forcing us all to say we agree or disagree. Mm-hmm. Um, Paul Ryan... I thought we were talking about this a little bit earlier. Very significant. But Paul Ryan said, "Well, he may come to Washington, but he's not going to. He's not going to address a joint session of Congress." Yeah. And Mitch McConnell said he's not even invited to Capitol Hill. Right. So Trump must have got some heat from, or did get some heat from fellow Republicans. Yeah, I wonder, and it's it's tough to see if he's really realizing like the impact that his press conference in Helsinki had. I mean, that was significant. I think, and that you know, Republicans. This is what Republicans are facing a lot of questions about and on the Hill, and it's you know a big distraction sort of for a lot of them, I think. And, you know, something they don't want to talk about. And it, it, the optics of it were terrible, obviously. Yeah. Um, I don't think there's anybody other than Donald Trump uh, and Mike Pompeo who say it was, <laughs> well, maybe Sarah Huckabee Sanders, but <laughs> generally the reviews have been pretty pretty bad on yeah. that. And then the in, in at this Rose Garden event, um, uh, Peter, here's Donald Trump uh, making the announcement. Uh, so the Jean-Claude Juncker comes in, EU. He's head of the EU. At that a week ago, Donald Trump identified the EU as our greatest foe, mm-hmm. right, particularly because of trade deals. Yesterday, here's Donald Trump announcing we suddenly made a big deal with the EU. Mm-hmm. We agreed today, first of all, to work together towards zero tariffs, zero non-tariff barriers, and zero subsidies on non-auto industrial goods. Thank you. So they go from being our biggest foe to our greatest friend? I mean, listen to the, the, the details of that. We agreed to work together towards. Like, it doesn't really mean <laughs> What does that mean? Right? I mean, and apparently oh. they're going to buy some more soybeans, but I mean, that was sort of an, you know, it was it was it was a situation where it was obviously the president liked that idea of coming out and saying, look, you know, we did this. And I mean, that was a scramble to set up that press conference in the Rose Garden. I mean, who knows where those those flags? I don't know. You know, where they just had them like in the back somewhere, like ready, ready to go. The European, you know, Union yeah. flag. Uh, and they, you know, were setting it up as we came out. So. It was, oh, really? It was, it, was still, yeah. it was a pretty big scramble. Yeah. But and yeah. Well, if you say you don't know what the deal was, well, Donald Trump explained the details of the deal, very, very specific details of what they agreed to. Here's how he explains it. Try to follow. I challenge you. Try to follow this. While we are working on this, we will not go against the spirit of this agreement 
unless either party terminates the negotiation. So we're starting the negotiation right now, but we know very much where it's going. <laughs> we don't know what the hell we agreed to, but we're starting the negotiations, and we don't know what it's all about, but we're confident about where it's going. I don't know. I can't. Yeah. yeah, I don't. I mean, and we haven't really seen anything in terms, actually, like an actual signed agreement, right? Because who knows what it would even be? It would be, oh, we're going to talk, like, right? That, there's, there's not a lot here. There's not a lot of substance. I think yeah, that's actual agreement. What was interesting is, I mean, you saw the market react to this before. Obviously, it was out, and you know, when you actually got to the substance of it, it was like, what, what is this? You know, what does this mean? I, I think it calmed down sort of the. The tensions probably a little bit, but there's no actual like firm agreement for what this means, and who knows what will happen going forward. It's, no. I mean, it reminds you kind of of the North Korea agreement in a lot of ways. I mean, Absolutely, obviously completely different actors, but you yeah, know, it's a situation where you want to come out and say, he, the president, has this desire to come out and say, you know, look at this, look what I got, and it, the substance of it isn't really there. Uh, now, I, you know, I was going to make that very same point. I mean. Uh, the word from him after North Korea was that there's just simply no North Korean problem anymore. The whole thing has been resolved. Denuclearization of the Korean Instantly, Peninsula like is instant. <laughs> it's a fact. Americans can sleep well at night and everything. But when you look at what really happened, mm -hmm. nothing. There's no change in the real world at all in terms of their nuclear capacity. Well, the same thing with this, this announcement yesterday, right? As if any... Any difficulties we had with the EU disappeared. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, cooling tensions is good, I think, but the framing of it was just, I think, a little, bit, you know, over the top. It's good that they're, it's good that obviously that they're sitting down and that sort of thing, but I mean, they agreed to talk is essentially what this boils down to. What, um, so yesterday, other than this little uh, question that uh, Caitlin Collins threw out, Yesterday was the morning after release on CNN and then all through the rest of the media of the Michael Cohen tape. Mm -hmm. So what was the mood at the White House, the atmosphere? They just sort of deny that that exists or what? Yeah, I mean, it was strangely quiet, I think, in the morning to a certain extent when you're like, you just, I tried to like place this in a historical context if there had been this, this sort of a bombshell report. But I think because of how chaotic the news is it just seemed like a lot like a normal day right <laughs> until we got to actually get in uh to the oval office and see the president i mean it wasn't there wasn't too much chaos really in the morning the president had a couple of meetings he tweeted of course about um about the situation and how you know but what kind uh, of lawyer did, records did you have the feeling they're concerned about this at all i mean is it i think clearly they did not want him i mean answering questions especially about this i mean that was the game plan for shutting down questions was was there and was quickly implemented as soon as he sort of ended the he said thank you and sort of tried to get everybody out of it. Because as you pointed out, going back to 2016, when this word first came out and Hope Hicks, then mm -hmm. the press before she became communications right. director uh, at the White House, um, just says there's nothing to it at all, right? So it's been a year and a half or two years of or more of mm -hmm. denial about both Stormy Daniels and Karen McDougal. Um, and then suddenly there's a tape, if, if not denial of, well, denial, double denial sort of, that the affair ever happened, mm -hmm. that there was ever any, if there was any money, that Donald Trump knew anything about it. Mm -hmm. And this tape sort of blows that right out of the water. Yeah, right? I mean, in, I think that the Not bar... only was a payment made, but he was involved in a discussion where he clearly knew 
what they were talking about, what right. Michael Cohen was talking about. Yeah, and I mean, I think Cohen knows, you know, a lot more here. I mean, there's a lot, <laughs> there's a lot more tapes. Um, yeah, yeah, but this, I mean, it is sort of just remarkable, and you got to you know, keep reminding yourself and stepping back from it. I mean, this is a the bar we're talking a lot of. There's a lot of talk about the you know the legality of this, and the John Edwards case, and that sort of failed prosecution comes up because it's sort of a similar situation, I think, um, in a lot of ways in terms of you know the payoff. Um, and whether or not there would be a clean case to make about whether this is a violation of campaign finance laws, sort of, I think it gets into the weeds a little bit too much. Where you know, regardless, this is a big scandal. Like you know, when you have a situation where the now president of the United States was involved in, or knew about discussions, and his lawyer was involved in paying off. I mean, we already, I mean, we already knew about the Stormy Daniels situation. Now there's another situation. How many more payoffs were there? How many more you know women were there in the lead up to the campaign? Right. Um, so the president was in Kansas the day before yesterday and spends a day at the White House. Today he's off to Iowa. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I, I kind of get the impression they're just like keeping him on the road. <laughs> he likes these big rallies anyhow. He but, does. Right? And I think it, those right. rallies have also blo- we've seen recently. They've but They work to change the subject, too, I guess yeah, is my point. They do. But there's also, I think, the interesting part of it is that there's they're sort of um, <laughs> getting away from a lot of the structure you'd normally see around official White House events. Basically, there's a lot of blurring between whether or not this is a White House event or as a campaign event, I think, in a lot of these situations. And those lines are just continuing to getting blurred. So it's these little things that every day you're like, oh, and you just come to accept it. You know, now we have a situation where the White House is no longer sending out readouts or telling us basically when the president talks with a foreign leader. That's I saw that story yesterday. Yeah. So they always used to. They did. I mean, right. who knows how many times he's talked with Putin recently? We used to get we used to get like a readout, you know, even if it was just really basic details. The fact, like the the key matter was that you know the president talked to a foreign leader. That was like the thing. So it's like, oh, if there's a bunch of secret, you know, if we don't know about about a bunch of phone calls, that's that's problematic. I mean, then we're counting on someone to leak this out, and that's not always going to work. The report's always going to come out. It should be on the White House to say, yeah. This is, he talked to a foreign leader this day. Here's who he talked to. Here's sort of the broad outline of what they talked about. Well, this this gets to the question of the two-hour one-on-one meeting with Vladimir Putin, talking about talking to a foreign leader, mm. with only the translators there, not the Secretary of State, not the Director of National Intelligence, not the Defense Secretary, not his Chief of Staff, mm. Secretary. Uh, and do we really know what happened? happened. Um, yesterday, uh, of course, that was a, a big part of the discussion at the Senate Foreign Relations Committee with Secretary of State Mike Pompeo. Uh, and Pompeo and, and uh, Robert Menendez uh, really uh, got into it, where Menendez was saying, so basically, you know, kind of trying to find out what happened during this two-hour meeting. No, you yeah, know what? I, I've I listened have... to your political soliloquy as a secretary of state sitting at that table, demeaning some members here because you said that Senator Shaheen uh, believes more in the Russian defense ministry. She was quoting them only because we don't know what our own government is saying. I mean, they they went after they it, really, each other yesterday. They there was really a, went after each other. There yeah. was another exchange which I think is just so perfect, and it's, again, something that we've said so, so many times over the last year and a half. I want to talk about politics. If President Obama did what <laughs> President Trump did in Helsinki, I'd be peeling you off the Capitol ceiling. Please. Yeah. And, and Please. They, so <laughs> several senators kept saying, so do you know what happened at that meeting? 
Uh, and Pompeo says, I'm, I'm confident that, uh, that, that I was briefed, right? He didn't really answer the question. Yeah. But you know, we talked about this with a couple of other reporters, that, that Vladimir Putin sat down with his comp- whoever the, 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 the equivalents of the Pompeo mm-hmm. and Mattis and, 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 and Dan Coates and others and said, Okay, here's what we talked about. Here's what we agreed to. Here's right. what he agreed to. I agreed to. Boom, 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 boom. I don't think that Trump was taking copious notes on this, you know, two-hour meeting, right? <laughs> or that he, or that you can even trust him to represent what happened in the meeting at no, all. Because, no. I mean, here's a situation. Someone tweeted out the other day that his own lawyers back in the day, Trump's own lawyers, used to, I mean, make sure that they're, they used to make sure there was always two of them in the room with them because you couldn't <laughs> count on him to relay what happened afterwards. I mean, he's an unreliable narrator, I think, that we sort of well-established. So the idea that, he would represent accurately to what even happened in that meeting. And, I mean, there's a solid chance that the Russians have a recording of this whole whole thing. And, you know, <laughs> Putin definitely relayed exactly what the president – I mean, he's a former KGB guy. He's, you know, he, he, he has a good report on what happened <laughs> at the meeting. Uh, I totally agree with you that uh, Russia has a recording of that meeting. And I hope to hell – I said this yesterday – if the NSA does not have also have a recording of everything that happened at that meeting, then, you know, we ought to bet – abolish the NSA because what's their job after mm-hmm. all right those communications but um, but but it's it's the, the, the truth of it is I think that our and it's, and we've seen that like let's take the Defense Department they're kind of flying blind mm-hmm. when it comes to whatever deal that Putin and Trump made privately about cooperation between our military forces in Syria. Mm-hmm. So uh, the Russians, we know more from what the Russians are saying than what Donald Trump is saying about what happened in that meeting. Yeah. And according to them, we've agreed to cooperate somehow in Syria, God knows how, for Assad or against Assad. Russia's not going to cooperate on anything against Assad. Mm-hmm. So it sort of means that we've agreed to help them back up Assad. Who knows? Yeah. But one person who doesn't know, it appears, is Defense Secretary James Mattis. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it is sort of incredible. I mean, a two-hour meeting with, you know, a foe of ours who, <laughs> I mean, there's an ongoing investigation. It, 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 the whole thing is just sort of bizarre. I think that's a good so word to sum up the entire Trump presidency. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but you do have to like it's it is constantly you're constantly reminding yourself like taking a step back into like the situation that we're in is just yeah. quite something. Um, why uh, it was reported by Politico yesterday that uh, sorry to mention the competition, oh, yeah. maybe, but um, that Bill Shine, the new communications director, has made a list of people who might take Sarah Huckabee Sanders' place. Hmm. Why is she? Have any feeling that she's on her way out? That's, I guess, that's the that's the feeling. I mean, you know, it's not the easiest gig in the world. I suppose. I mean, you got to go out there and sort of, you know, undermine your credibility in a lot of ways every day. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I, I, it wouldn't surprise me if you know we saw her headed for the exits at some point. Well, um, so tonight, um, you know, what you do if you're no longer the press secretary is you you write a book and then you have a party at the uh, Trump Hotel tonight. Is the uh, the big official kickoff of Sean Spicer's uh, new book called The Briefing? It's at the Trump International Hotel by invitation only. Yeah. Um, are you going? I'm I'm not. Um, 
it's invitation it, must have blown off the porch. Right? Yeah, I'm sorry to say. <laughs> it's uh, I was say, could I be your plus one? <laughs> <laughs> the, the idea that they're also they're not even like throwing him a bone and giving him the place for free, like right? Is like he's, they're charging he's paying. Him. They're charging Sean Spicer ten thousand dollars to have a party. That's awesome at the Trump Hotel. I can't tell you how much I love that, and I'll bet you it's a cash bar. Oh, for oh, sure. Yeah. And the, for sure. I yeah. mean, the other event the other night, you had their tickets for, which is just bizarre. Yeah. Like usually, like that's not how book parties in DC work. Tell me about it. Right, <laughs> you know. <laughs> you know. <laughs> have you ever charged for enough? <laughs> no. Yeah, this the party that they had Tuesday night down at the war. Yeah. Right. A thousand dollars. Yeah. Uh, we talked about this yesterday. So it was a thousand dollars. You got four copies of the book and four tickets to the event. A thousand dollars, two hundred fifty dollars, just yeah. to get into the freaking event, right? Yeah. And you got a badge that said press secretary. <laughs> um, for five hundred dollars, you get two tickets, and you get a badge that says deputy press secretary. And for two hundred and fifty dollars, you got a badge, one copy of the book, and a badge that said assistant press secretary. So bizarre. You know that somebody might call that monetizing. Yeah. A position. I, I I presumed that that went to like him as well, right? I I didn't understand how like how this all works you just didn't get enough of the because i mean he struggled a little bit to f- i mean not he's still doing fine to be clear but it wasn't like this big you know it wasn't the complete lay you know you know the red carpet that you would expect to be rolled out for most no. press secretaries who don't sort of debase themselves you know and and aren't don't have this reputation as unreliable and don't have so many inaccuracies in their own book um and i mean the other thing is like there weren't the whole thing is you're supposed to have like some good revelations in your book and there's not anything like that you're also supposed why to, would anybody read it and right. you're also supposed to get the facts straight which he doesn't yeah. either right i i think that is the funniest thing in the world that he had get, got so much stuff wrong yeah. in his book yeah. so like, like big wrong so not basically just typos. it was uh, his book is a total reflection of his job as press secretary yeah. right as jonathan carl said in his review it was short and full of inaccuracies. <laughs> his book is like his briefings were short and full of inaccuracies and the only single message was Donald Trump can do no wrong. What's interesting about that is he's not. Do not like, buy this book. <laughs> he's not like Carl isn't some like, you know, lefty. He's I mean, you know, I think he used to work for Jonathan like, Carl. Yeah. Oh, no, 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 no. I mean, he's, you know, I think he used to work for Republicans back in the, like in his previous career. Uh, I, don't know. I don't know. He's a good reporter, yeah, but he's, he's not known as he's a, not a, a, a. No, he's, he's very mainstream, not a not a like sort of lefty at all. I mean, it was a review in The Wall Street uh, Journal, too. And like, you know, that was a pretty devastating, I think, uh, review for that book. So uh, you had a very busy day uh, yesterday, a little quieter today, uh, day to day. So but thanks for starting off with us. Definitely. OK, you can follow Ryan, of course. Always at HuffPost, HuffPost.com. Uh, the big political scene here in this country, Priorities USA, right in the middle of it. Patrick McHugh, uh, the executive director of Priorities USA, joins us next year after a quick break on this uh, Thursday edition of The Bill Press Show. Thanks again, Ryan. Sure. This is The Bill Press Show. <laughs> Yes, here we are back again on the Bill Press Show, wrapping up here on a Thursday, July 26th. So good to see you today, and thanks for being part of the program. As we come to you live from Washington, D.C., our nation's capital, and our studio on Capitol Hill, uh, welcoming to the studio Patrick McHugh, who is Executive Director of Priorities USA. Patrick, always good to see you. Thanks for having me back. Thanks so much for, uh, for coming back here to bring us up to date on the political uh, scene uh, one story we mentioned uh, a little bit earlier, I just wanted to um, 
um, mention again because I think it's extremely important. It's not the biggest story of the day, perhaps, but uh, could have some important ramifications for the White House, and that is, Patrick, that uh, a judge here in uh, nearby Washington, or Maryland State, rather, in Greenbelt, Maryland, um, said yesterday, issued a 52-page opinion that the lawsuit against Donald Trump at being in violation of the emoluments clause, that whole thing a part of the Constitution none of us ever heard about before Donald Trump. Uh, the judge said that this lawsuit filed by the District of Columbia and the state of Maryland can go forward. It has merit. They have standing. He ruled that earlier. It has merit, he says, that uh, there are some serious questions with the Trump Hotel and all these foreign guests there and uh, foreign uh, countries uh, having events there uh, that he could be in violation of the Amendments Clause. And uh, if that goes forward, that could open up a whole can of worms when it comes to Donald Trump's business deal. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Look, I mean, I think every day something new comes out uh, about Donald Trump, and sometimes he uh, forces himself in the news to distract from some of it. Um, Look, I think part of one of you know one of our challenges when we're talking to voters is is while all of this stuff is sort of filling uh, their TV screens and their Twitter feeds and all over Facebook that um, that they're also um, hearing about the the sort of devastating impacts of some of the policy that, that Trump and the Republicans have passed, um, which often doesn't make it on the front of CNN, certainly never Fox News, um, uh, and so uh, things like health care uh, and the rising premiums that people are experiencing. As a result of the actions um, or an action being taken by the administration and Congress, um, and the fact that people's uh, taxes are in some cases going up, and uh, in, at the very least, their cost of living isn't keeping up, um, or the cost of living is, is going higher than their wages. Well, you mentioned three things that have had a negative impact as a res- for most uh, average Americans as a result of Donald Trump's policies: uh, higher insurance premiums, um, or lack of availability of health care. The whole health care issue. Um, higher prices because of tariffs mm-hmm. or less revenue in terms of farmers or right. manufacturers uh, because of tariffs, and uh, the tax cuts with not being the boon, the, the big benefit that the Republicans said was going to be for every yeah. average American family. But the question is, so there are three things where people have been directly negatively impacted by Donald Trump policies. You can't blame that on Barack Obama. Mm-hmm. Does it translate into votes for Democrats as opposed to Republicans in 2018? I, I think on balance it does. I think our challenge is to continue to communicate to people to make sure that they know um, that Trump and the Republicans in Congress and the Republicans running these races who support these policies are the ones um, uh, to blame for the, the higher health care costs, um, for the fact that the price of gas is going up but their wages aren't, um, while gas companies are getting huge, massive tax breaks because of the new tax law. Um, and so it's on us to, to make sure the voters consistently hear that message, which is difficult in a, in a news environment w- what is uh, controlled by a tweet at any moment. Yeah, um, is right. Be filled. <laughs> the news environment will be completely filled up. So. All right. So let's back up. Priorities USA, for those of us who may not have seen you when you've been on the show before, uh, Priorities USA is a pack. Mm-hmm. All right. You support what kind of candidates at what level? Just, sure. Just across the board. Yeah, so we are involved in House races, Senate races, gubernatorial races. Um, we did a state Senate race in Florida in 2017, a special election that elected uh, Annette Tadeo, who's the first Latina to serve in the Florida State Senate, which we're really proud of. Um, so we're involved at all levels uh, of the ballot. 
um, we're traditionally have been the presidential um, pack. Yeah. Um, so we're, you know, we're going to, um, we're continuing to focus on Trump. And obviously as, as we head past the midterms, that'll be a, um, a renewed focus. Um, um, and so, uh, but we were involved at all levels of the ballot. Just yesterday, we announced um, that we are getting, getting involved in the Ohio 12 uh, race, which I think is indicative of sort of where we are at now. I'm in a plus seven Republican district uh, that hasn't been represented by Democrats since 1983, um, uh, that uh, we are getting involved with in partnership with House Majority PAC um, to do uh, digital advertising um, uh, on behalf of Danny O'Brien. I don't know the candidates. That's one. So why Ohio 12? Why is it important and who are the players? So Danny O'Brien is a Democrat running against uh, Troy Balderson. Um, Again, it's a very Republican district. Um, uh, John Kasich used to represent that district in Congress. Uh, Pat Tiberi is the uh, was the representative uh, currently represents it, so it's a special election, and I think it's indicative of um, what we saw in Pennsylvania 18, that um, the Democrats can and must uh, compete in a wide range of districts. So that includes the districts that are more college educated, more diverse, wealthier in California, for instance, all the way to the more working class districts in Pennsylvania and Ohio that we can compete across the map, and I think that's what you're seeing. And I, you know, what we're seeing in Ohio, a lot of what we're messaging around is on the tax law, on the impacts of the tax law. But the fact that uh, the tax plan which uh, Balderson supports increases the deficit by $2 trillion just to give tax cuts to the billionaires and big businesses. But as a result, it's going to uh, raise your taxes. Um, your premiums are going up. Uh, and they're eventually going to have to cut Medicare and Social Security to pay for all of these tax cuts. Right. In fact, it's worse than that because the New York Times reports this morning that this is just out from the Office of Management and Budget that because of the Donald Trump tax cuts, business taxes, revenue from business taxes, which remember corporate taxes cut from 35 to 21%, the top rate. Um, so the revenues are so much lower from yeah. corporate taxes because of the Donald Trump tax cuts that there will be an additional, over and above what they, which is the two trillion, an additional $1 trillion added to the debt over okay. the next 10 years. Yeah. Um, so it, 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 the, the Republicans used to care about that. Yeah. Yeah, they used to care about a lot of things they no longer uh, care uh, about. Right, um, yeah. Uh, it, you know, I think the um, I think what our challenge is to make sure that people know that that's the consequence of these policies because otherwise right. they probably wouldn't by reading um, uh, their local news um, or watching CNN. So there's all the, there are all these races – uh, and I'm curious about how you choose which ones you get involved in and which ones you don't. Of course, I'm, I'm sure you're looking at the, the key races and where you have a, we have a better chance of winning. But let's start like with governors because people ignore, I, I think the party has in a certain extent, the Democratic Party uh, has ignored the importance of governorships. And when it comes up looking at 2020 and reapportionment, right. and we've lo- we lost, what, 15 governorships over the last mm-hmm. eight years? Yeah. So... Where are we today, and what are the good shots you see of picking up a governorship? Right. And, and, so, and which races are you involved yeah, in? Yeah, that's right. I think part of the challenge is, you know— By the way, people can always find out, right? I'm looking here at priorities, right. priorities.org. Yep. Priorities priorities USA, right. it's priorities.org. So yeah. if some of the races you're interested in that we don't get to, uh, check out priorities.org. Go ahead. That's Governors, right. races. Yeah, so we've, we've been in the Nevada governor's race uh, since May, um, trying to frame Adam Laxalt, who's the Republican candidate there, um, who uh, supports um, uh, cuts to education that are so large that the Republican governor, Ryan Sandoval, opposes them. Um, so he's pretty extreme, and we've been um, involved in that race for a few months now. 
Laxalt is 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 their current attorney general and the Republican nominee. Running for yeah yeah, and the Democratic candidate Uh, is uh, Steve Sisolak. and so that's a very important race for us. We're obviously uh, keeping our eyes on Wisconsin, where Scott Walker is running for re-election. How can um, Scott Walker run for re-election? He's got <laughs> how many terms has he had? I think what you're seeing, interestingly, uh, from Scott Walker, which I think is also indicative of the national environment, is that he clearly is is running more scared than he ever has before. Um, he's been spending a lot of money very early to defend himself um, in every public poll that is virtually a public poll shows it's a very I'm close race. i to remember. So he was elected, and then he survived the recall, and right. then he was reelected. Right. And now he's running again? Again. Third he's term. back. Yeah, <laughs> really. Yeah. Um, so that's an important one. Um, you know, the Florida governor's race um, is another important race that we're keeping our eyes on um, and likely to be uh, involved in. Um, the uh, Wisconsin, or the Ohio governor's race is also a very important one um, you know, where uh, we are keeping... Where Richard Cordray is the Democratic candidate, um, and we're keeping our, our eye on that race where uh, Kasich is no longer um, yeah. is term limited and, and out. Um, and so there are several governor's races. You know, one of the challenges is that so much of our party, as you noted, always focuses on federal races because that's where the, um, that's where the, the contributions usually are focused on. Um, and so um, one of the things that we want to do um, is to help draw attention to a lot of these races that sometimes might not get as much national attention, but as you noted, are vital um, towards redistricting and building long-term power, um, which is something that um, our party often has a hard time looking past two years or four years. Right. Uh, important governor's race in California. I was just out there. Yeah. Gavin Newsom, good friend of mine, yeah. uh, will be the next governor of California yeah. uh, up against Republican John Cox, who tried two or three times to run uh, statewide in Illinois and didn't make it. And so he decamped for uh, California thinks his chances yeah. will be any better. Uh, it's interesting. Donald Trump's popularity in California. Donald Trump has like it's roughly thirty percent support in California, mm-hmm. and John Cox is running as a Trumper. He thinks that's going to be, yeah, his key to victory in California. <laughs> Forget about it. It's not uh-huh. going to happen. Yeah, be a um, long road for him. <laughs> uh, it, it's going to be yeah, yeah a really long road for him. Uh, how about Maryland? Ben Jealous against Larry Hogan. Yeah, it's not a race that, that we're currently uh, involved in. I think it's an exciting one. Um, I'm actually from Maryland. I grew up there, uh, so I have a lot of personal interest in the race. Um, it's another one where we're keeping our eye on and, and seeing where we can make a difference, um, where you know there, there might be a gap that we can help fill um, in the progressive infrastructure that's not already being filled. And what we particularly do um, is really try to fill the gap when it comes to digital communications and talking to voters online. Um, so if we see in a particular competitive race that there is a gap uh, to be filled when it comes to talking to voters online, that's what we try to uh, try to seek out and fill. I think we should uh, just uh, be very open about that. That's a really tough race for Ben Jealous. To it win is a tough too. race. Yeah, yeah. not not yeah. impossible certainly. Uh, but I'm a Maryland voter. I voted for Ben Jealous in the primary. Uh, Larry Hogan is a very, very, very popular governor in Maryland. Yeah. Republican. You know, it, 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 it it's interesting. He is, uh, I think, very smart politically. He's very conservative, yeah. but he has uh, pretended to be. You wouldn't know be. it. You would, exactly. <laughs> yeah. You wouldn't know it. A lot it, of people right. in Maryland don't know it. I think that's part of the challenge. Yeah. yeah. He's yeah. even come out against a couple of Trump policies, you know. and, and Right. Yeah. Uh, You're right. And in sometimes inconsequential ways, it doesn't really cost him anything politically in the state. He doesn't actually have to uh, do much. And so uh, yeah, it's, it's a hard race. Um, Larry Hogan is very... Uh, very astute politician. Um, how um, uh, positive or optimistic are you, if at all, 
uh, about uh, the Senate and the chances of Democrats taking back the Senate. Uh, I am way more optimistic than I ever thought I would be, um, given the map at hand. Um, given the yeah. uh, the number of states that they uh, that uh, that we have to compete in, um, a number of Trump states, um, some of which he's won in double digits, um, a handful of which he's won by double digits, and so it's 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 very it was very challenging from the start. Um, but uh, you know I've been um, amazed at the strength of campaigns that Democrats have been running, uh, particularly in some of these very red states, where oftentimes their approval ratings are better than the president. Um, and look, I think what we're seeing across the country is that. Um, you know, it, the, uh, the way that you connect to your district or state really matters and authenticity really matters. Um, uh, you're seeing that in congressional special elections. Um, you're mm-hmm. seeing that in uh, primaries. And I, and I think we're seeing that in these Senate races uh, where uh, farmer John Tester is very well connected to the state of Montana. I was just going to mention, uh, when you hear about, when you mention somebody who's connected to their state, I mean, automatically, I think of John Tester. Exactly. In yeah. Montana. I mean, he really yeah. represents Montana. Right. And these senators from these races, they, they do the work. Montana. Yeah, he reflects Montana, and they go home, and they, they talk to their uh, constituents often, um, not just in an election year. And I think that that's really important, and I think that is one of the reasons why uh, a lot of these incumbents, even in very red states, are doing— But uh, we know the math. Democrats have to hold on to every one of those yeah. seats. They have to hold on to Montana and to North Dakota and to Indiana and to Missouri, mm-hmm. right, and to West Virginia, okay. and then pick up two— mm-hmm. Where? Uh, we have a, actually a number of opportunities, and some that we, I don't think we expected at the beginning of the cycle. Um, one of those is Tennessee. I think there's a real pickup opportunity. Are in you Tennessee. involved there? Uh, we are not currently, um, uh, but we are involved in Arizona, which is another huge pickup yeah, opportunity. Right. Um, so let's go back to Tennessee. Tennessee yeah. It's a former governor, Phil Braden. That's right. Yeah. Right. Running. Yeah. So, you know, it's a, it's a very competitive. Um, Against Marsha Blackburn. That's right. It's a very competitive race. Well, um, you talk is... about us. <laughs> Yeah. Um, but look, I mean, he's another one who sort of uh, has been around the state for a long time. People know him. He fits Beloved. the state, um, um, you know, and who is running a, an aggressive campaign. And and I think a lot of people from the beginning of the cycle um, probably would have laughed at the idea that Tennessee would be on the map. Mm-hmm. But here we are today. Um, you know, Arizona, I think we have an exceptionally good shot in. Um, I think the demographics of the state continue to change year after year in ways that are uh, helpful for us. Um, and we also um, uh, and Arizona is an unexpected opportunity. I mean, do you think yeah. when you think about at least from my experience uh, in in politics, deep red states, you know, Utah, Arizona is certainly on the list, right? I mean, always was. Yeah, two yeah. two Republican senators, Republican okay. governor, but uh, there's a real shot at this Senate yeah. seat with Kristen Cinema. Yeah. Yeah, and Arizona, I think, is increasingly becoming a more purple state. And you're seeing um, more energy in the state than I think you normally would have. You saw it in the teacher walkouts that happened across yeah, Arizona, yeah. which is a really powerful moment. Um, and the Kristen Sinema is running a, a good, uh, smart campaign. And that the Republicans, uh, flip side, are involved in a very contentious primary. And we have Joe Arpaio running for Senate, um, you know, who is running against Martha McSally, who— um, just like a lot of Republicans tried to denounce Trump when uh, in 2016 when he was running for president, um, uh, and the uh, the Access Hollywood tapes came out, uh, but now uh, has embraced him uh, mm-hmm. as hard as she possibly could. And so, um, uh, 
Uh, it's a very – and Kelly Ward is another far-right uh, Republican who's in that. So it's a very contentious Republican primary. And that Republican that primary is still going on. Oh, yeah. Right? Uh, there's yeah. another month uh, almost for it, to, <laughs> for it to go on. So it's going to be – it's going to be a long month for them, and, and who knows what's going to happen. It's very unpredictable um, of who's going to uh, come out of that race. And Nevada? Uh, Nevada is, a, is another one where Dean Heller is in deep, deep trouble. Uh, you see it in virtually every single public poll that comes out. He certainly hasn't helped himself um, um, by, uh, you know, at one moment telling Nevadans that he's going to try to protect their health care and then at the next moment uh, voting to increase their premiums. Um, uh, it, it's, uh, I think people are starting to see through um, Dean Heller um, and try to you know, starting to see him for who he really is, and that um, maybe just another Washington Republican who will say one thing in the state and then turn around and, and vote on the side of, of right. big businesses and special. Maybe interests. the most vulnerable of do you think of the incumbent Republicans? Yes, absolutely. Right, uh, and it's Jackie Rosen is that? That's her? right. Yeah. yeah, her last name. Right. Yeah. Right. That's right, and she's running again a very strong campaign. Um, Great candidate. Yeah. yeah, I met her the other night first time and I was I, I'd seen her as a candidate but hadn't met her and she's I'm very impressed and yeah, she's been given a nickname by Trump oh, which, yes, is a big, which is a big badge <laughs> right, of honor wacky Jackie <laughs> right that's when you know you made it <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly right. and Nevada is is a state that's really yeah moved uh, yeah I don't know whether it's purple anymore or light blue or whatever but yeah no I think it's a state that's definitely moved uh, in our direction um uh, and so I think there's a lot of opportunity in that state. I think a lot of attention is going to be played as a result um, to that state in the governor's race and the Senate race, really two very important statewide races where um, winning them both would mean that, you know, we've you know, have taken back power in the state and can do some real good. Uh, yesterday, Kyle Kondik from uh, the Center for uh, Politics at the University of Virginia, working with Larry Sabato, uh, among pollsters, they've been pretty conservative about Democratic chances of taking back the House. Mm-hmm. Yesterday, Kyle told us that they feel better about that they see chances improving right now. He, in fact, he said he'd give it a seven on a scale, seven out of ten, seven on a scale of ten, for Democrats to take back the House. Do you yeah. agree? Yeah. Or I you mean, feel, I, do you feel that bullish about it? Uh, I feel uh, confident um, that we have a very clear path to take back the House. Um, and I'm more confident need than 20, I ever have been. Need 23 seats. That's right. And I. I think we have, again, a, a very clear path to be able to do so in a, a diverse set of districts. I think what um, what sort of makes me bullish is the fact that um, our path to victory is not reliant on just um, the Clinton won uh, seats um, that mm-hmm. um, the, these California seats, for example, that are more diverse, more college educated. Um, but they are important to our path to victory. But we also are competing um, in working class districts, um, you know, with good candidates um, who fit their district. Um, and so I think as a result, we have a, a very wide path to victory, um, which makes me feel pretty confident. About and and are Democrats competing? Now, you've got a pack. I mean, are you and other organizations able to compete uh, in terms of dollars spent in these races, have the resources to, 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 to really make it happen? Look, I mean, I think two things. Number one, um, we will never have the resources of the other side. Um, and I think uh, when you have uh, a pair of billionaire brothers and the Koch brothers who um, who will spend hundreds of millions of dollars in a consistent way year after year to build um, uh, to build a conservative um, uh, ecosystem, yeah. um, it's challenging. It's, and the fact of the matter is, their donors benefit financially from the policies they pass. Absolutely, um, that's why the Koch brothers are in it. Right, and so the Get challenge. Get rid for of us. the EPA. <laughs> yeah. Let us pollute more. Yeah. 
Uh, but we have a lot of grassroots uh, donor power on our side, and um, it, but in terms of the uh, the major individual and uh, um, you know foundational donors, um, you know they are doing it out of ideology. They are not contributing to our organization or others because it benefits them financially. In fact, it hurts them financially. So that has always been a challenge for the progressive movement. Um, uh, and and so I would say the second thing um, is that we are coordinating very well with all of the other groups um, that are involved in the space. And I would say the um, groups that have been around for a long time, like Senate Majority PAC and House Majority PAC, both of whom we have uh, very deep partnerships with in all of these places, and the Democratic Governance Association, as well as these new groups. I mean, one of the first partnerships we oh, yeah. did was with Indivisible to help mm -hmm. uh, to help drive uh, um, people to their town hall events on healthcare very early on in 2017. And so um, that energy has been really fantastic. And um, I, I think it's a testament to how we that yeah. everybody can work together. Peter, help me out. Uh, so uh, Ben Wickler from MoveOn.org was here the other day, and he mentioned they've got they're all they're, they've all united together right. in a pro, pro, program called TheLastWeekend.com or TheLastWeekend.org. I'm not. I think it was .com. .com. Yeah, .com. TheLastWeekend.com, where they're all collecting, getting people that last weekend to really work for these house raises. Yeah. Patrick, great to see you. Thanks Thank for you coming for in. Me. I all right, this great. This is the Bill Press Show.